0: Chippa, 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 chippa. Good day, everybody. Hello, welcomes, greetings, and all that kind of jizz-jazz. It is a pleasure to see you back again. Boy, I hope this webcam's working. I should hear the cam's working. Okay, it is good. <laughs> I had some problems lately. Thank you very much for coming and hanging out with me today on yet another Merged Worlds Dungeons & Dragons Story Podcast Adventure thing. Uh, episode 83? Good lord. We're only 17 away from 100. That's mind-boggling to me. Who's here already? Hello, Jim and Miss Smashley. Hopefully out there as well. And Miss Panda. Good day, greetings. Um. So yeah, been a couple weeks since we've had Emerge Worlds. I know. I'm sorry. I Had some uh, dental surgery stuff done that uh, delayed it a little bit, but uh, back now. And we, I don't, I, I don't foresee any more uh, issues with getting right back on its uh, every other week schedule again. So. Pretty excited about that. So this week and then two weeks and then two weeks and two weeks all back and forth. Um so hello, hello, Michael and the MT as well. Good day. Welcome everybody. Um so today's adventure, um, we are going to be continuing where we kind of left off with the uh artists group again. I would like to stress very much that while I am calling it the artists group, uh it does not make artists the most important person. Uh, it is a group they are equally as important but it's just easier to uh, say them by a person you know hello mr terry greetings sir um now i believe that they will encompass the majority of the stream today Um, although we will not be looking at seraph's group until next time we get to Sarah's group that one's going to last a while the part of the story that we're at now um for him and his friends uh it's going to take several episodes of telling and I don't want to I don't want to bounce back and forth in the middle of that so we're going to be staying with Sarah for at least two to if not three episodes so uh this will very likely be the last one artists group for a little while hello random games welcome um and then at the end of that of today's uh artist area storyline. The uh, Caradon. You know, Caradon that they're in right now. Um we will be doing a little bit of extra story, a little side story that's been popping up now and again. We'll be doing the next extension of that. Ah, Chalky Milk. Okay. So we will do uh, I don't think you remember me. I changed your name. If you change your name, possibly not. <laughs> But hello, anyways. Uh, so I will start with a little recap, as I like to do. Um, if you will remember, I'm going to recap a little bit more than normal, because it's been a bit. Hopefully, most people are caught up on the episodes. If not, hopefully I won't be giving anything super big away. Um, artists, Dave, Ran, and Petal have been chasing after Seraph, Deacon, and Mugen trying to catch up to the friends to help them on their quest to find Dina, Of of Seraph's life. Um, it was uh, at one point in the story where Princess Artis made known that the artifact that she carries is, in fact, an intelligent artifact created by the goddess of light that, um, named Quintius. Quintius being the same. Young man that artist had run into several times uh, back in Serenity keep recently before they had left, as well as multiple times as a child he was also took a child's form and, and played along with her as a child uh, that he is an artifact of the light, and she has been chosen to be his new wielder very powerful artifact, although at this point. He has not given a lot of information on what all he can do or is capable of. Um, literally, he, he gets directions from the goddess of light herself. Not like she pops in and says, hey, Quinny, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good, and you? It's not like a conversation. It's just suddenly he knows what it is he's to tell or to share. So when he says he doesn't know something, he, he does not know it because it's not been made known to him yet. Um, and advised them that they had to head north to the kingdom of Caradon There was a darkness growing. Or I wouldn't just say darkness or or a problem, right? Something was growing there that if it was not dealt with, not only would it rise to become a major issue with Sarah's path, big thing that he's on right now that could decide the fate of the world, but also it could bring about the doom and death of everyone they know and love and serenity. So they decide, oh, they also find out the whole purpose about Sarah's path, and that one day he'll have to make a choice that there's going to be People's and things and stuff out there trying to change that or stop him from ever getting to that. Point. Um, so they decide to take the magical artifact Quintius's uh, advice, and they decide to go north to Caradon. They were traveling for a while, had a couple little adventures on the way before finally arriving in Caradon. Um, Artis is the only one who can see or hear Quintius um, when he takes a physical form. I'm not sure if I ever clarified this, but it's something I want to clarify. He never speaks to her without being in physical form. Hosh Bobby. Midnight's crying a lot because it's storming again. Oh, by the way, if something happens and I suddenly mysteriously disappear, give me five minutes, I'll be right back. It's been storming for a couple of days here, and if power flux I will get back on if I get kicked out back as quick as I can. Um but uh Quintius always appears. He doesn't speak just telepathically. Like, he literally pops up and she'll hear him speaking, even if he's standing behind her. But no one else ever hears it. He can hear everyone around her. Anything she can hear, he can hear. Anything she can see, he can see. And he has um, a bit more limitation. He can see a little, you know, a little bit more. Um, for a magical sensing type of thing, he definitely can sense much further. But he can't tell her what's behind the door that she can't see past. it. Uh, he has... Um, line of sight with her or the artifact that he's actually a part of. So if something happens and she leaves him in a bedroom, and she's walking around, and someone breaks into that bedroom to steal stuff, he can appear and be like, hey, just someone in this room right now, and this is what he looks like. You know, They can do that because it's in sight of the artifact or artist. Uh, but he can't say this is happening 25 miles away kind of thing. That's, not, that's a, little, a little bit more limiting. Storming there, too? Yeah, we had a little thunder all my kitties have been hiding it, uh buffy was hiding under my bed. pants uh ooh, oh my god i'm just i'm tripping on myself they're all hiding under couches and futons and stuff today set midnight who just you know is chubby time. mt <laughs> says jealous love a storm <laughs> too well, well texas yes I, I understand that very hot there Oh, the content creators I watch are out of Texas and constantly let you know how hot it gets down. It's miserable. So the heroes arrived finally in Caradon on uh, their ship, the Miss Dandelion. Uh, They came ashore where everyone was very welcoming, inviting, very friendly. Uh, They'd heard rumors that this, this kingdom did not wish to trade with its neighbors, did not encourage a lot of visitors, except in the area where clerics are. Clerics are always greatly welcomed. Um, and knowing this was kind of their inn, because, you know, they're not trying to lie, they're truthful people. Two of them are the clerics of that, you know. Um, and so they, uh, they arrive, everything seems good, and they made their way, uh, towards the castle. And the castle, the keep, if you will, is on the far eastern side of Paragon. Um, they were going to have to travel against a mountain range that keeps it very well defended. So they it was going to be several days travel to reach uh, a city that's a, almost central but a little bit more uh, east, um, which is the city of Dagon's Hill, um, which is the largest city in the Kingdom of Caradon. That's where they were heading, and then went from there they would go on to the keep. They had a couple uh, interesting things, issues, situations, events pop up on route. To Dagon's Hill, uh, I'm not going to get too specific on this in case somebody catch up, but uh, had to fight together a couple times and do a couple things there. So by the time they finally made it there uh, to Dagon's Hill, uh, they were definitely a bit weary of the travel, but knowing they still have some distance to go. So that's kind of where we left off last time, as uh, when they're on their way home. The very last thing we spoke about was a. One-on-one conversation between Ran and Kip, their good friend, the Bard, that had joined them early in the adventure, and half of the Bard, has been traveling with them since. Um, Ran was upset because, in several situations, he feels like he's not doing a good enough job of protecting artists. Father is a knight, helps guard the queen, he wants to be that, he's been raised, hey, my job is to keep royal family, a.k.a. the princess, safe. And he feels like he's not doing a good enough job with it. And Kip calls him out on it a little bit. They have a mock battle, if you would, that's not as mock as Rand thought it was going to be. But ended in such a way that Kip made his point that you're you're holding yourself back to all these rules and codes and stuff you've been raised on, which are fine and dandy, but by doing so you're letting danger, you have the chance you're letting danger slip through. Um, I can help you with that. You've learned how to fight. You know, you you you're you, you know by hands down you're an excellent fighter. Uh you've just never really been taught how to kill. And Ran accepts his help in that. So, uh while we didn't really go beyond that in the story, the big thing to that is is sure enough, Kip and Ran are going to war. They've already been fighting and sparring and stuff together, they've become very good friends. And um Kip isn't coming at this. And I want to stress this up. He doesn't come out like, no, I will corrupt you. It's not anything like that. It's literally like, okay, you feel like you're not doing enough. Let me show you how to do more. Let, let me help you take that next step that may be a little bit across the line that you've been unwilling to cross. But by doing so, you might be better at the, the main thing you're wanting to do here, your main goal in life or whatever. And you accept Kip's uh, help with that. Because again, Kip, pretty good, decent fighter himself, being a half-elven, he's well over 100. He's definitely got more experience than all of them in the world, if you will. Um, and so, you know, Kip, also being a bard slash rogue, right? which is What a bard is. Has a little bit uh, different views on life in, in, in the overall, right? So, that's where we're going to start after I take one more sip of Chalky Milk.
1: The colder the Chalky Milk, the better.
0: So I can warm in here. I got to get it before, or before the Chucky warms up. All right. So when they make it to Dagan's Hill, uh, there's a reason it's called that. It's literally a very big hill. And when I say big, I want to clarify not high, but large. So um, the road literally starts an incline and it, the, the hill itself has you know, probably slightly sharp edges. It would it'd be uncomfortable to climb it, but it's not impossible. And it's easy to tell that the, the hill has very been flattened off and such in many areas at the time. Um, very early on, when the original town was made, however many hundreds of years ago, uh, this was a good defensible position, being from a raised position where it's lower all the way around. Anyone attacking the city would have to be coming upward. The high ground matters for reasons. I mean, everybody, everybody knows I've got the high ground, Anakin, right? Like Everybody knows high ground is a benefit. There's many reasons for that, which I guess I could talk about sometime if people don't quite understand why. But literally, high ground is beneficial. So, um, defending from that place became a very easily defendable fort, which then grew into more of a city, and so on and so forth. Um, now, as they enter the city, there are uh, several things that strike them very much the same as the very first port city that they came into. But also some very stark differences from the port. Uh, And I'm going to talk about those because it's important. Um, So, from an architecture point of view, many of the buildings here are older, which this was settled long before the Port City. That is to be expected. The Port City had some really old buildings and a lot of newer ones. These ones definitely have much older buildings um, that have been built upon. So the architecture does have a different feel to it. um, And some of the buildings, um, I wouldn't say are made... Less sturdy. In fact, very often the older building is more sturdy. It is because they had they took their time. Newer buildings popping up, housings and buildings using cheaper materials doesn't. This new does not mean better. Um, but they they notice that there's definitely more age to the city. Um, the people very much uh, act the same way as they did in the Fort city, although maybe not quite as extent. Like they're very happy to see them. They're like, oh god, a cleric. This is awesome. Like, it, you know, clerics are very well um, revered in this country. Paradon itself does not worship a specific god, but if all the gods of light, and probably even half the ones, if not all the ones, of neutrality as well, um, they've seen no signs that anyone worships an evil god. There's definitely nothing out of the ordinary saying, oh well, here's a temple to darkness. Nothing like that. But they don't seem to have a specific religious line, if you will. Like, yes, this is a city of purely the light, or we worship bard gods, or whatever. Uh, Very much more of a general, we worship the gods plural as a group. Um, So everyone's very happy to see them. They're greeted warmly and such. People come up, shake their hand. People aren't quite as ecstatic as they were in the port city, where like, they're following them around and stuff, and huge crowds are of. It's not like that, but definitely anyone noticing them will step over and greet them. Hello, welcome. So glad to see you, that kind of thing. Um, And it all seems very genuine, and again, just like it did at the port city. None of it seems like they're trying to force it out, or they're trying to... It's very genuine that they're happy to see the uh, clerics and paladins specifically, and and their entourage, which is what Petal, Mave and... uh, Sorry, Petal, Ran, and Kip are going to kind of seem in that situation. Um, Although, artist being a cleric, um, nine times out of ten, most people are going to see Maeve the paladin in the exact same light. She's still a servant of the gods. It's uh, the same god as, as um, Artis is at this point. So, uh, while she's not a technical cleric, she's viewed in much the same vein. The fact that she's a minotaur, you can imagine, is even, makes her even more imposing. Here's this giant warrior of the light, right? It's like, most of these people are human, and all of a sudden this huge minotaur comes walking down the street. It's like, I'm here to kick out evil ass, you know, kind of thing. You're like, wow, okay, that's imposing. You can imagine how something like that would be welcome. Like, wow, what a what a sign that this huge warrior of the light is here to beat back darkness, kind of. Thing. Um, so there's there's that. Now, one thing that they will uh, that that they do notice though is, unlike the port city, this city seems slightly less kept. Um, inasmuch that there are some signs of poverty, right? Uh, i probably see a little more signs of homelessness. It's a larger city. It's more common. Um, And to them, in the world they live in, not just Merge World, but just in in existence, it's not uncommon to see these signs. Even Serenity is going to have some signs of poverty. Um, Mercy makes every attempt to help everyone, but people fall through the cracks. There's always going to be some signs of homelessness, poverty, and that very often is linked with crime. Um, What they see here would not stand out to them is what i want to stress they're not seeing a large amount or even a big amount at all it's the same or if not less than they would expect to see at any other city it's the fact that the port city had zero signs of poverty it just kind of stands out a bit more from that point of view um but you know had had they come to this city first it wouldn't have stood out to them at all because they would expect to see some signs of poverty and it's the regular amount. So that's what I'm trying to stress. The big difference is, wow, it's night and day from the port city to here. Wouldn't have stood out had we not seen a city with zero poverty. If anything, it stood out more because of that. Um, the sky here's as they arrive, uh, it's very overcast. It's uh, it's, you know, there's sunlight coming through, obviously, but it's not like a bright, sunny day. Uh, it's, uh, not, I believe I mentioned it was fall weather, so there's a bit of a breeze, but nothing too super cold at this point. Just a light breeze that, while well, walking through the streets of the building doesn't really, and buildings of the city doesn't really hit you much anyways. Um, so there's that. Okay, so here's some snippet I have to read. And, of course, as always, I've already just said half the stuff in my snippet. The city of Negan's Hill is a far different place than the port city they first arrived to. I already said that. Citizens here, too, immediately greeted them enthusiastically. But there was something else there as well. Sometimes it was a nervous laugh, just a little too loud, with a look in someone's eyes for just, someone's eyes for just a moment. But it was there, and each of them noticed it. And it was fear. So, when they're talking and people are genuinely, hey, thanks for coming. Oh, wow, it's so nice to meet you. Blessings to you. Can we get blessings to you? All that kind of stuff. There's just this very, very overly subtle feeling of nervousness or concern in the populace. Not directed at them or directed, you know, they're not like everybody's looking at the same thing or looking in the corners or shadows, nothing like that. It's more of just an, an overall feeling to the people's, you know, state of mind of of living there. Just that tiny bit that's, they notice it, but very often people living in a state like that might not notice it. It just may be a part of life. You don't wake up every day noticing something that's the same every day, you know? Uh, People could say that about, very often you can even say, uh, mental health. You know, a lot of times you don't realize there's something, because it's always been that way. So, you know, it's brought to your attention, hey, this is not normal. This is standing out. This is something we should take a look at and find out why. So it is a whole city, a whole group of people can be that way. And that's kind of the feeling they're getting here. People have a little bit of nervousness to them, though nothing standing out as to why. Nothing. stood as particularly dangerous as well. No one seemed guilty or particularly dangerous. Still, they could all feel the nervousness in the air. So again, there's no no person, nothing anybody's doing makes him seem suspect, right? Something ill-genuine or, or you know, looking at somebody following him around. Nothing like that standing out at all. They made their way and rented rooms for the night in an inn named the Golden Lotus. It was a nicer establishment than they're used to finding and offered very reasonable prices, though it did not seem to have currently many patrons. The main hall was quiet and very sparsely occupied. So that, uh, again... You're inns of all sorts of level. When you go to big cities like Serenity or RDL or anything like that, you're going to have deep inns, average inns, really fancy inns. You're going to see that. But in a town that's not, this is a city, but it's not as big as many of the ones they've been through. This one's offering very nice uh, accommodations at what would be a, a lower price than they would expect to pay for that type of accommodation. But the, the inn itself has clearly been there a very long time. Um, again, the city is majority, if not all, humans from what they've seen at this point. They haven't really seen any of the other races uh, making a presence here. But it's, it's uh, a very nice place, but hardly anybody's staying there, which at the same time is not completely out of the ordinary, especially if it's a city like this. Don't really encourage visitors, right? Not a lot of people coming through the city. not going to have as many people staying Um, now they'd arrived midday and decided to spend some time looking around uh, they decided to stay together until they could find the source of the city's odd sense of concern now you remember in, in a lot of the other places that they've stopped at they've split up and gone and looked to see what they could find in different areas but that that feeling of mm, something's wrong here they all get that even Pedal. even pedal can be like something's weird here it's not fear, she doesn't feel fear but she's like something feels weird and as a maid she made me a little bit more attuned to to looking for stuff like that so they decide to all stay together as they make their way through the city now again as they made their way down the streets uh, they're greeted very warmly Uh, children played vendors hocked their wares and the townspeople laughed smiled and chatted with every every with each other everything was frustratingly normal and then uh, you, you by that i mean you can imagine when you're looking for something you can feel there's something there but nothing stands out as strange it's hard to find what you're looking for right it's for people who are looking for that it's gonna be frustrating they can't find anything it seems so normal kids running the street playing games and stuff like that um now from what they've learned from talking to people and questioning things they've learned that it's about two more days travel to, meet, to make it all the way to the castle. Um, they're able to purchase some maps of the area um, in a shop that was a map shop and such who doesn't really clearly see a lot of business uh, with very little travel and, and them not being partnered with trade with many areas outside of their kingdom. They don't have a lot of knowledge of what the outside world really looks like nor need to have some maps of those. They were able to get a few maps of the local area uh, relatively easily um they now in the in the city of course there's plenty of different businesses that you'd expect to find butchers tailors all good stores there were no major businesses or anything that stood out um, nothing that showed signs of heavy merchant trade they do know that there is some trade of course done within the cities themselves there was a market area you know marketplace people selling stuff uh, but no signs of any major business or conglomerate that's running all of the different businesses or anything like that. It just seems like very home or uh, you know uh, what I'm looking for um, owned and operated. That's it. Uh, people owning their own small businesses. Nothing stood out there. One thing that they did learn that was a little bit, you know, at least it seemed odd to artists and Mave, is that there was no temple in the city at all, not even an old one. Uh, there was. Um, a newer building that was treated as a chapel where occasionally on holidays mass would be held and, you know, like mayors of the city and stuff may say some things, but uh, people could go in there to light candles, that kind of stuff. But there's no one tending it. No one tended the chapel. Um, And there were were zero clerics living within the city. Um, Now this, of course, big red flag to them. A place that's overwhelmingly, or over, overwhelming, welcome and welcoming to clerics, and yes, please come visit, and so on and so forth. The fact that there'd be none living here does seem very strange to them, um, and they ask about that, you know, because why wouldn't they? It's like, oh, really, no clerics at all? You know, no temple or anything. Uh, they learn that the last local priest uh, moved away several years earlier, rather suddenly and in the night. One morning, woke up and he was gone um which of course did seem a bit odd even to the people there but for the 5 to 10 years before that that was actually quite common or quite common um since the merge the clerics and priests that did make residence throughout Caradon just seemed to move away um and everyone they speak to says well you know, no reason that we know of um it's all it's a very common belief that the gods called upon the clerics of these lands to travel now that merged world existed in its, in its form to go out and explore this new world and help spread the words of the gospels and things of that nature which some priests even claimed to be the reason why they were leaving and some people didn't really give a, a reason um, but over those years after the merge they just more and more left and those few that came through never stayed very long if anything just passed through or went to the castle and then left So, um, but, you know, the people at this point have just come to, that's just a fact of life. And kind of what we talked about earlier, it doesn't stand out to them because that's everything, it's always that way. But artists and Maeve and the other uh, friends of the group who traveled through all these other cities and know more of a history of Merged Worlds know that no other kingdoms had that. And no other kingdoms, all their clerics left to go out into the world. That's odd that this would be the only place where that would be a thing and so that's the the first here's here's an actual potential thing here um let's see uh bu, 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 bu. they also learn that since the merge um the weather itself has changed considerably in the kingdom of Caradon, especially here in this side of the kingdom from here all the way over to the castle that it has grown um darker more overcast uh, much more common storms and rainy than it used to be. Uh, the winters are definitely a bit harsher than they normally had been beforehand. But you know, year, m- groups of years of having bad bad weather and then it clearing up for a while—that's not uncommon in in any regular land. To be honest with you. But you know, combined with everything else, it is something that you know they take note of and. That itself also stands out a little bit. Uh, Like I said, regular regularly overcast. And it's Maeve who brings that out. It's Maeve who kind of, you know, hearing this information and hearing about the weather kind of gets that little light bulb, that little idea of of putting a couple pieces together. And when she has a chance, she takes the friends to the side and she's like, it's dark here. And they're like, yeah, we understand. It's overcast. Like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's it's." It's dark. that's what's wrong. Look around here, right? The shadows are darker than they should be. There's a feeling of, of dark, of weight. That's what we're feeling on people. It's, you know, it's, they're trying to live a world that you'd expect on a nice sunny day, but in a gloomy overcast. And this is merged worlds. The Merge didn't change the weather anywhere. In fact, if anything, it locked it the way it was. While you can walk in a desert, take a step and suddenly be in the Arctic. It's a hard line that every piece of land that came from a world maintained its exact seasons and temperatures and all ecosystem. All that stays exactly the same, unaffected by the new pieces of worlds around it. So for this place to have been adequately affected by the merge in that way that they've had no other piece of land they've ever crossed to have that stands out as an issue. This is a big red flag, right? And this is just what they're learning from talking to people, right? Just getting little snippets here and there.
1: The city and the lands beyond
0: just appear to be shrouded in a form of darkness. Maeve is correct, said Quintius, catching Artis by surprise. The darkness prevailing over this land is quite unnatural. I have not been able to find its source, but it grows stronger towards the east. It's the castle and our destination. Artist nodded in understanding. While she'd begun to grow more comfortable around the spirit that only she could see and hear, she was still unnerved whenever she saw someone rock, walk right through him, oblivious to his existence. Right, Suddenly he's there and she's like, oh, okay, and somebody just walks through him. It's going to weird him out. It's hard to get used to that him walking through solid objects, and they're hanging out and chatting in a, an inn or something like that in their, in their own room, and he walks through a table or something. And that, that stuff still, is, that weirds her out a little bit. But him popping in and out, not as bad as it used to be. She relays his message to the others, who also, of course, were not surprised to hear this. Is it magical in nature? Petal asked. And if so, can you tell if it's magi or clerical-based magic? Quinius, of course, was able to hear her perfectly fine, and answered all of their questions through Artis. He can hear them speaking, he sees Petal, he can't talk to Petal, so he replies to to Artis, and Artis passes on that message. Um, I cannot, he said, but it is powerful, and it's blocking me from knowing more. It would take a person or item of great power to be able to hide
1: itself from me so. of course, this
0: feel good, right? They know that Quintius is a very powerful artifact, even though they don't know much about him, what all he's capable of. Done a couple things so far that have shown he's got some serious juice. But if he's powerful, then they've got to assume something as, or if not more powerful, is out there blocking him and keeping him from being able to find and sense more. Because again, like I said, he can't see directly, or hear directly, outside of the range of the um, staff, you know, not, yeah, scepter that he that he is. He is actually a scepter who has a human form that he can take illusionary-wise, or what artists can see. But he has the ability to sense and check for things. He's able to sense this magic that's going on. So they go ahead and you know they're like all right and they continue going around and they spent several hours going around the streets and all this took place over several hours they bought a few things here chatted to someone it's probably a couple of times somebody came up with a toothache or an ingrown toenail and they're like here let me bless you and see what i can do about that even though they're not healing clerics uh that's always common for any cleric who might have some sort of healing ability and artist has very minor healing ability maeve has a very minor healing ability, <laughs> but hers hers is hers is a little better. But she can use it less often. She's got a lay on hands ability, which is quite common for a lot of paladins. Um, and lay on hands normally allows you to directly heal up to a maximum a certain amount of hit points. You have to physically touch the person, um, and you can only do it once in a, usually in a day or a certain period of time. Um, a clear a, a paladin of healing, which is one of the most rare paladins, to be honest, um, would have a stronger lay on hands. But now you, but in that situation, you've got a paladin who doesn't kill at all. We <laughs> just don't play that, you know. Uh, Templars do what they have to to protect. That's that's different. But a paladin takes, you know, a paladin takes the rules of their faith to the extremes in almost every situation. Like I shall not kill. I'll carry a club, and I'll beat the snot out of you, but I'm not going to kill you. You know, so there's, you're going to find for like a cleric, a paladin of healing, in the rare situation one exists, they're using weapons that are much, much less damaging in capabilities. So, something to throw at you. But, uh, she does have a, but but Maeve does have a lay on hands ability as do most paladins of uh, type. Even, even evil clerics can have a, a healing ability. Healing's not all lim- always limited to the good. Evil clerics can cast healing spells. They're also more likely to have a lay
1: on hands damaging spell. Um, see, hey, where was I? B-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b- so finally, as it's you
0: know, getting later in the evening, they make their way back to the inn, um, and they you know have a good meal and kind of hang out there. Uh, in the common room, again, the common room, not much busier than it was before. Very few people here. Probably one or two travelers who are taking advantage of the low prices to stay in a nice place. A few they see appear to be more local farmers or something that might be traveling, bringing stuff into town, getting that opportunity of low prices. Um, kind of, you know, for a place like this, the average person normally wouldn't be able to stay, so well, you can make advantage. The food itself was good, but it was also, like I said, quiet in there, and very little opportunity to talk to anyone or gain any information. In fact, the only person they really have a chance to talk to, other than a, you know, a couple maybe barmaids who bring by the foods and stuff who aren't really helpful, with any grand scheme information, uh, is the innkeeper himself, um, a gentleman named Douglas, who's who'd owned the inn, it's uh, been in his family for at least a hundred years, um, and you know conversation there leads a little bit more to the castle itself where he lets them know that it's actually very few people ever go to visit the castle anymore i mean there's city there's guards and there's a military and army of the of the country and patrols so in there go back and forth but it's rare that just the average joe goes to the castle anymore just because there isn't much need there's not a lot of there's not a lot of fighting infighting inside the kingdom itself. And although our heroes here may have run into a little bit of uh, problems with being attacked, that type of crime and stuff is very minimal. There's just, there's not a lot of reasons for people to have to go uh, to the keep. And for small things like disputes of local land or whatever, majority of that can be handled by a local mayor or, or, or town leader of that nature. It's only on during major issues like murder or something like that, where the king is... to you know hold trial himself and and make a decision that that type of thing ever happens and it's he says it's been several years since he himself has ever had any reason to go up there although you know people do they they people from the castle come here and, and buy goods and take up there so they got food and stuff and people deliver it there from the different farms around the castle you can imagine they probably got direct farms who all of their produce meats and cheeses and butters and all that stuff goes direct goes directly to the castle Castle buys all their goods, which is kind of common in a situation um, of this nature when you have, and this could be even in serenity, right? It's like, we're, okay, we're, there are 50 farms within a this many mile radius. We need everything they make, so we're going to offer them a good price, and they don't have to go to market every year. Or maybe they're even, the land is owned by the castle, and they hire people to work it. Like, you work this land for 10 years, we get everything you make, and at the end of 10 years, we give you your own piece of land where then you can go out there and we'll offer you, at that point, a good price for your products. You can sell it to us or you can take it to market, sell somewhere else. So, you know, because army, servants, royal family, whoever else is involved in any city or keep or castle is going to need a decent amount of food and supplies. So having farms where all the goods come to them benefits. Now, of course, in some more shady kingdoms, People may not be given a choice, right? <laughs> we'll give you two pennies, bring me all your stuff, and I have no choice. I have to take it does not not does not seem to be the situation here in Cardon um, 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 um Where was I at? I'm got lost one second right, so again he's he said he's had very uh, he hasn't had any reason to go to the castle himself, even though they do have little things on holidays. It's more for people who live at the castle, so he's not really had any reason to go. Now, when Ran asks if, if the innkeeper has heard of any strange tales of the castle, anything strange or unusual in that area at all, the innkeeper gets very clearly nervous, and quickly makes an excuse to excuse himself. He doesn't really answer the question. He's like, oh, one more I've got to check on bread in the oven, or something like that, and he excuses himself, and just doesn't seem to come back to chat anymore. At that point, the barmaid's seem to be bringing their drinks and food directly instead of him. So once they start to get to some specific questions of things
1: out of the usual, clams up.
0: So is it that he knows something? It's hard to tell. He just may be, you know, again, there may be that sense of uneasiness from everyone that you just don't talk about stuff, right? Oh, hello, Buffy. Hello, Kitty. So, at that point, um, after really learning all that they can, they decide to call it a night and get a good night's sleep. They return to their rooms, uh, which, again, a, a room for the three ladies and a guy for, a room for the two guys uh, They save funds. Plus, uh, for safety's sake, usually best not have, have them completely separated. So, they, they go back to their two rooms and get themselves
1: a good night's now it's the next morning uh, when they're
0: just getting up and getting dressed that their knock comes to the door of the girl's room and there are two barmaids there, two young ladies um, with a cart, foods and drinks. They had been t- they had said that they would like to get breakfast the next day, uh, but weren't expecting it to be delivered. And They're like, okay, well that's awfully nice, sure bring it in. And they're like, we have food for the gentleman as well, should we leave it here or go take it to their room? And and Mave is like, "No, no, no, leave it here. They can come and eat with us. That'll be totally fine. The girls seem very uh you know happy to get in there and give the food, but it's clear that they also are a bit nervous, and they leave as quickly as they have the opportunity to do so. um Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm scared of anything in particular again, even though she's a paladin, she's also a mave is very big and scary to people who have, may have never even seen or heard of a minotaur before, right? Nothing like that here. Any type of alternate race would seem strange, but you get a minotaur walking in here. Got some little five foot two barmaid who's only ever seen a human. Uh, what is this person going to do to me? I got to get out of here. I know that they're cl- they're paladin stuff, but I don't take any chances. So Mave is is awe inspiring both good and bad ways. Uh, Pedal goes over and. Knocks on the guy's room, they're about ready, and they come over and join them for something to eat. The food they get is is, is very good. In fact, very fresh. Good fresh fruits in there, meats and cheeses, uh, a, a lot of delicious things to nom on for breakfast. Maybe even some pancakes, something they've not had many times in their life. And Maeve is ec- ecstatic to find pancakes. But this this whole maple syrup thing, it boggles her mind. She must learn more about it. But uh, they're sitting there and they're chatting, and you know, while they're chatting, of course, the the thought comes up. I you know, was the food brought to us here so that we weren't out in the common room, right? Because we were asking questions last night. Are they trying to keep us away? The innkeeper not want that situation again, where he's in a spot where he has to. He doesn't want to lie to a cleric of truth, right? You could just imagine the kind of bad mojo the common man would believe what happened. They'd be cursed for doing such a thing. And odds are they'd see through their lies anyways. So the average person is going to be very hesitant to say anything but the complete truth to Maeve or Artis because if, in fact, they do find that they're in a lie, not imagine that calling down the wrath of the god of truth is not something anybody wants to do. <clears throat> Even if they're just a good person. You know, if you've got something you want to hide, you just avoid talking to them. That's usually the way it would work with a cleric of truth. They begin eating their food and it's tasty and they're talking about what they're going to do. And then suddenly, about that time, as Petal picks up her bowl to move it to the side, she notices a small folded piece of parchment sitting between her bowl and the tray that it was brought in on. She sees it and she doesn't touch it at first. She draws attention to her friends. Her friends look at it. And they all see it, and Petal reaches in to take it. Because, you know, Petal immediately does her finger wiggles to make sure this doesn't appear to be trapped or magical in any nature. And, like, okay, gives them the all clear. It doesn't look like it's anything like that. Come on, Puff. It's anything like that. Something happens, and I disappear for a second because Buffy's walking across the keyboard and she's pressing a button. Come on. There you go. Good girl. Sorry right for the kitty butt. Um, so they uh, takes it and just carefully opens it and inside are several words and all it says is go back while you still can.
1: Just those six words. Go back while you still can. Not
0: written in any. It's not written in blood or anything funky. It's just a very plain note with those six words and punctuation. There's a period. Go back, period.
1: Um, but it does seem hastily written.
0: Everyone takes a turn to kind of look at the paper, and talking a bit quieter, of course. But they're like, someone's warning us to go back, not leave
1: one of the first things that Maeve brings up. maybe goes, it it's
0: not telling us to leave. That we're in danger here. I'm not saying that. It was leave while you still can is somebody was trying to getting us out of the city. That's not the feel they're getting, even though it's only six letters. It's go back. Do not continue forward. It's more of the, what the feel they're getting from this very short um, message. And if there is, in fact, a problem that people are loath to talk about, it's clear someone has taken initiative to maybe even put themselves in possible danger to give them that warning. This definitely brings them great pause. Makes them consider their next
1: plans and what they're looking to do.
0: It's again Maeve that speaks first. Uh, Maeve is even more determined to carry on now. Doesn't even even have any inkling of slowdown. Hell no, this makes me want to move forward even more. Right? Maeve immediately says, there is a darkness here? We are servants of the light. Maeve talks like that a lot. Artis ha- talks like a cleric, but Maeve speaks of the higher ideals when she can. Like, we, are, we are servants of the light, and if there is a darkness here, it is our duty to find it and destroy it, and save these people or protect them from it. You're honor-bound to do so. You know? Which immediately has got Rand like, mm, yes, honor bound. I like this. this is the, these are the words I like to hear. And you got pedal and Kip going like, um, two high ideals. You know, calm it down a little bit. Is, or, uh, artist is always the middle person. In that. Well, I agree. We've got jobs here to do. But let's look at the big picture. Let's, let's be smart about this. Let's put all the facts together. That's kind of how very often a, a split when it comes to that. We are honor bound. maven and Rand, swords in the air, ready to go kind of thing. Bob, are you having a hard time? My desk is so covered in stuff. Come here. Come here. Come here, little girl.
1: Over there. you go. Um, so they want to continue on. Now, artists in this situation also agrees.
0: Quintius, and he's not there, but they're talking about him. Um... Quintius uh, had warned them. The whole reason of this whole trip is because Quintius was told to bring them here. You don't know the reason, only that they were to be here, this is where they had to come. And she can only assume that this is the reason why that is. They were warned that if they, uh, that left unchecked, whatever is going on in this kingdom of character could come to be a danger to both their friend Seraph and their home of serenity. So not only is it a matter of duty-bound to help the people, we're here for this reason. I mean, we're kind of getting smacked across the face with, this is what we're here to deal with. Even though we don't want to know what it is. This is the inklings of why Quintius was told to bring us here. We can only move forward and try to find out what that is. For whatever it is that's frightening these people, what could it grow to be if left unchecked? Um, Artis agrees with Maeve, and it is... It is their duty in this situation to do everything they can to bring an end to it. They all agree at this point. You know, even even Kip and Peddler are like, well, yeah, we're just too curious not to know. I mean, I agree. We weren't being, we shouldn't go. We just, like, let's make sure we're going for the right reasons. And they agree, yes, they're going to go. But instead of spending another night here, they're going to go ahead, take their stuff, check out, and they're going to leave now. There's no time to waste in this situation. They don't really feel like they're going to learn a lot more here in this uh town of uh Dagon's if you will um so it might be in there you know it, it's best to, let's just move on let's hit this head on let's not give it any more time to grow so they do in fact pack their gear after eating pedal takes a moment to say a few words and the little parchment in her hand bursts into flame and just immediately goes into dust Just kind of falls and then she tosses the wafts into the fireplace that's in the room definitely don't want to leave anything there that might draw attention to the person who was trying to warn them. And so they go ahead and goes ahead and, and get through that. They pack the stuff they go down, they check out, and they leave the city. people are wishing them goodbye again. Fairly well. Have fun at the have fun at the castle. Things like that, you know. And people are saying that with goodwill, not with anything negative. But in their minds they're like, no, we're we're not just going to visit now. We're heading there to find out there's something that way. We gotta find it and we got to fix it. So the Rhône du Caledon Keep um, was clearly once a beautiful road. Not just a road, but very well kept. Um, Arches and such, and rest areas and such where people could, where there would be fountains and stuff. And while it's still in good repair, it's clearly not kept as immaculate as it probably once was. Some overgrowth and stuff, some of the fountains aren't as clear as they were, and you know, it, it being fall, you can imagine there's leaves everywhere at this point, right? So they're dealing with and no one's coming through cleaning it. Like, like you'd expect someone to be walking through with a leaf blower anyways. It's not how that works. But the road is, is definitely well-maintained enough that they're not having any problems traveling it. Although while they're traveling, they don't run into anyone else. Not even a patrol.
1: Not even any guards. And they travel that whole
0: next day without seeing a single soul on this road between primary city in this kingdom and the castle where everybody li- the, everybody lives, the famous people. That definitely strikes them out as odd. And as, the, at that, as that evening comes to a close, they set their camp not far off the road into an area which was clearly designed for that. Old fire pits already existing. They take advantage of... Um, the area to be able to wipe away the many of the leaves, sweep them away with their cloaks and such as they can. And they've got some relatively uh, pre-made fire pits and things which are going to give less chance of setting forest fires. We've talked about is important, right? We don't want to burn everybody down here. There's a lot of good people in this area. So they go ahead and they take rest. Now they decide that because of the problems they had already being attacked before, and just the overall feel of what's going on, they decide to do double guards that night. So, uh, it's going to be two, and then one will sub out with another, and then another will sub out know, okay. so the last two. It's going to sub out. So, at all times, there will be at least two people awake in case there's any type of problems. But even before they get to the point of rest, relaxation, not that they're going to get that much, a lot weighing on their minds, as soon as the sun goes down, they're chilling around their fire, preparing their dinner, or whatever they're going to eat. Again, it gets dark relatively early. It's fall. Again, i got to point out, that's normal in merged worlds.
1: That your seasons
0: get longer and shorter even though everybody shares the same sun. Very funky in merged worlds. And one of these days, I'll talk about the exact science about how I make that happen. Uh, because there is a there is a reason why that works. But, um, it the, uh, as they're they're kind of chilling immediately they begin to hear the howls of wolves now this does not come from close by it's definitely throughout the distance but in every direction and it's not constant but it's common um and in relatively large numbers it's not like they're coming from the same place they don't sound like they're getting closer but not only are the the sounds of wolves of course there are um the, the the sounds themselves an unearthly feeling to them. something more supernatural or sinister it would be like your regular wolves more of an echo to it kind of spooky wolves, if you will and as we'll remember we've already had some run-ins with spooky wolves in Caledon. so they're definitely on their guard preparing um Artis, you know basically summons quintius and asks what he's feeling and what he's able to tell from the area and Quintius tells him that the closer they get to the castle, the more his powers are being blocked and limited. The further east we go, the more limited my reach is. And I'm going to tell you, my friend, that's not happened in thousands of years that I've run into something or someone, because he can't tell you what it is. I don't know if it's somebody casting a spell. I don't know if it's a magic item or an artifact. I don't know if it's some type of demon beast creature thing. Something very powerful is blocking him. The closer he gets, the more he feels his range of, of being able to sense stuff shrinking to the point that it's literally tightening in on him. Um, as such, he advises them, at this point I feel like I'm not going to be as much use. I'm going to do my best to reserve what power that I have, so that way I can attempt to be as useful should you need me. They understand, and he's like, I'm still here, you need anything, you do know, say anything, but I won't be popping up unless I have something specific to say. I'm going to conserve what strength I have to be able to help you fight whatever is imminently before us, because Quintius agrees that while he's not been given anything specific knowledge-wise from the gods, he too believes that this is why they're here. He's like, you know, for something to be able to dampen my abilities, that's something powerful, and it's now something in the side of the light. So... Clearly, the Goddess of Light would not like that. Whatever is doing this is existing. Probably is the best
1: way to say that. So, they get through the night, though,
0: without any actual incidents. They're not attacked. Something weird pops up. Although the howling does start to die off later into the night. By the time it starts to become early morning, it stops completely. Um... It never gets closer, but it never sounds further. You know, but it's never like from the same spot. It's almost like things are moving around. It's not getting closer or further. They're just kind of staying at a certain distance. Which they're subjecting. Is it possible that whatever's blocking Quintius knows that they're blocking Quintius? Right? It's not just a, they're, they're specifically trying to do that. Whatever they're using is not letting it get within his range. Because it doesn't want to give him anything. So the fact that something might know Quintius exists as well is also unnerving. Makes artists even a little bit more protective of it. And she's determined at this point she's going to keep it tucked in underneath like her armor robes. She has a belt and stuff. She's going to try to keep it a bit more hidden and not draw attention to it. Where up to this point, she's pretty much just had it tucked into her belt. Um, Because she wanted Quintius to have as much visibility, if you will, or range as it could. But that's still somebody walking around with a gold, platinum, and silver... Hello, um, a scepter as worth a small kingdom, you know what I mean? I was asking for some trouble. And Kip has been very much against her leaving it out in the open. Kip's like, listen, I'm going to tell you how I know I was a thief. You totally do not want that just hanging out like that. Your, anybody with negative ideals is going to be drawn to that. Because that could set people up for their whole life Hawking that thing. Especially as even not even knowing it's magical. It is, you know, finding out it's magical, get it in the wrong hands of somebody could be even worse or more valuable. So she decides to finally heed his advice and keep it hidden from this point. But the next day they continue on. It is early to mid-afternoon before they finally start to come in range of the castle itself. Now, the castle of Caradon was visible from quite a distance, as it was built up and into the edge of the eastern mountains. Okay? But as they're traveling, they're seeing the mountains in the distance. They've seen them since the city. They're very in the distance. But they're getting to the base of this mountain range that for them, it's in front of them, right? We're looking at the map here. Let's say this is the map, right? For you guys, this is east over here. Okay? The mountain range goes down along the southern border. Right? So, the kingdom of Caradon is completely blocked in on the south and east by mountains. No one could attack them that way. On the west is the river. Some would have to cross the river where those port towns are, would have to come in that way. And then along the north, there's a giant crevice, a crack open, which you've talked about why that's there, magic and stuff back in the day. Um, and so it's be very difficult for an army to come from the north. It makes them very defended, but it makes them very isolated. But the keep itself is built up and into the very edge of the mountains just as you're getting into it for defensive purposes and because there's, you know it's a snazzy place to build. So there's that. Uh, this also, this made it quite easily defendable since it could only be reached by the west, and the only road running through it ran through a narrow pass. So the mountains themselves kind of close in. They're going to go through a narrow pass into almost what would be almost like a a, a valley or cul-de-sac in the mountains, and it's built up on those mountains. So there's mountains kind of on all sides of it. You have to go through that pass. It's very, very easy to defend. And for someone like Ran, Maeve, and Artis, people who are going to be trained somewhat in war, even more Maeve and uh, Ran, to be honest with you, in the actual defensive of stuff. And of course, artists gets some of that training, too. She's going to be a queen one day. Um, they, they can see, wow, this is a very good spot for a castle. It would be nigh near impossible for a force to just march up in here and take it. It would have to be a very serious siege, and it would take a very long time the castle itself was large and foreboding and in good condition though it was easily the oldest building they'd seen many centuries and soldiers walked its parapets and stood on its walls and at first glance it seemed quite ordinary now, it's important i put that in there right they could see people standing up there walking around as they're getting closer they're not, and as they're going closer no one's trying to stop them they they don't have guards aren't rushing out kind of thing they're just making their way up the road towards the castle they could see people up on the walls. So it's not like it's all ghosts and stuff. There's people living in there, right? So I've had a couple of people say, oh, maybe no one's really living in the castle. No, there's lots of people living in the castle. They just stay there. As they approached the front gate, which stood, stood open and unbarred, a small group of soldiers came through the gate, led by a very well-dressed older gentleman. Greetings, said the man. On behalf of the king and the royal family i welcome you to the keep of Caradon. i am brendan 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 Fraser, brendan i am brendan the king's herald and if you will allow me i shall take you to meet him he has been expecting you and is quite eager to meet your acquaintance good news bad news time right Excellent. The king would like to meet us. This is going to be easy to get in here and see what's going on. Bad news. He knew we were coming. They didn't pass a single person on that road
1: in almost two days. Someone come from the city before them. Somebody come even before that. It was magic afoot? He knew they were coming.
0: And they questioned it. They're like, really? He knew we were coming and brendan laughs and assures them that little happens within the borders of this kingdom that the king is not aware of for he takes his responsibility of protecting his people quite seriously but please if you'll allow me come i will take you to see the king the guards i mean they're looking at them they look like regular city guards or you know king you you expect to find a kingdom well-armed uh, they clearly, looking from their gear, they know how to fight. They're, you're, you know, from a military point of view, they're, the way they're walking and handling themselves, they don't appear to be on alert like they're afraid of artists and friends. Uh, but it's clear that they carry themselves like well-trained soldiers. Maven and Rand kind of look at each other and both get a little bit of a smile because they're like, we could totally take these six dudes. Like <laughs> Mave and Rand are like, yeah, we could take these six even without the rest of our party. Maven and Rand are like, we could totally take these six and. I want to draw that out i want to i want to put a point to that uh, to the specifically a lot of times rave or really rave. wow what a great name to combine them mave and ran they'll do that kind of thing they'll be sizing up people look at each other and be like mm-hmm. mm-hmm these guys have fought a few battles now they've been out they're trained they've not fought a lot of large scale stuff yet and it's quite possible that sometimes their assumptions of what they can and can do might err on a little bit of side of egotistical. They do have a very high opinion of themselves and their abilities. Even when Rand's kicking himself for not doing a good enough job, still has a... I was raised by one of the greatest knights in the world. My father, you know, and May was like, Lord, I've trained under this paladin, and I'm my father's Darsh Bowhammer, and the Lord knows I know how to fight. You know, I was chosen by the gods. And that right there is something that they all have had to deal with since Quintius first made them aware he was a magical artifact. They've been chosen by gods in this great game that the gods are playing right now. That's a lot of weight on someone's shoulder, but might make someone feel a little bit, uh, maybe too untouchable. And it's something that artists sees them do that she's not happy with. And she's tried to gently call it out a couple times, like, guys you're sizing up the opponent's potential, and that's great. That's what we're supposed to do. Let's be a little more... Let's not run in gung-ho. Let's make sure that we're capable of doing things we think we're doing. Because Artis does have that leadership mentality, whether she wants to or not. And even Maeve, who they see each other as 100% equals, Maeve will very easily step back and uh, succeed to Artis' thoughts. Artist thinks we should do this. Mave's like, okay then. Unless she's directly opposed and has a reason for it, very often like, okay, fine, whatever artist chooses, I'm good with. Because she sees that this is the voice of our God. Mave was told that, remember? You will be. Artist is going to be my voice, and you are going to be my fist. And Mave takes that responsibility important. I'm here to do the thumping. She's here to do the talking. And part of my job is making sure she's safe, so she can keep doing the talking. Everybody's very protective over artists and Petal. <clears throat> and Petal's also protective over everybody, and including artists. So, arts has a lot of people protective over. But you got to be careful, because this may turn around to bite these young adventurers in the booty at some point or another. Now, the castle, again, is just walking through the open corridor in the very first courtyard. The flags of Caledon are everywhere, fluttering in the breeze. And I haven't talked about them yet, but the flag of Caledon is a black flag, with uh, the shape of a blue dragon on it, with a blue X behind it. Thin blue-lined X around the frame. But black and blue is the color of this kingdom, which is not an evil color. I want to clear that up. Just because somebody wears black doesn't mean they're evil. Very often it does. But it doesn't in this one. Okay, Rand's armor is all black, 100%. So, just throwing that out there. Uh, again, the castle's in very good... Once they get inside, it seems much better repair than even the outside did. And they're led through several well-decorated rooms and corridors. Signs of wealth are everywhere. Well-kept, very high-quality suits of armor like you'd expect in a castle. Trophies on the wall. Big um, uh, banners and tapestries that are definitely would be worth money. Well-made or hang on the wall depicting battles and sceneries and such. Uh, it's definitely a wealthy ca- uh, castle. They're not living in squalor by any means. Well, they're finally led into what is clearly the the, the main ent- the main room, right, the throne room, if you would. And of course, in many castles, the throne room also doubles as a meeting room, a banquet hall, so on. And as they as they enter into the room, they all have practice living in court. Except Kip and they have to kind of, whoa, stay here. The Herald steps forward. He's already asked their names. They've introduced themselves to him. He steps in and you know, they only had to give it once. Heralds are known for this. They know the Herald, you know, introducing Princess Artis, daughter of Mercy but uh, They gave their lines. Because again, they're being truthful here. And like, plus they're thinking, hey, technically Artis is royalty. Walking in, that might help level out a playing field, make the king want to be, you know, little bit more forthcoming in assistance or information because they have no reason to believe the king will not be Err on the side of caution and so they go and it reads off all of them what they are they then get to enter the room and the herald leads them up towards the center of the room which is raised dais which is kind of like several stairs that going up and on top of that are two thrones each has someone sitting in them and one is a male figure and one is a young female and standing next to the male, who's clearly the king, is another older man, who you can tell just by the way he looks, this man is a mage. Dressed head to toe, 100%, that is a wizard standing next to the king. Now, they're brought up, and unlike many areas, when you walk up and there's a walkway, and then you could go up and greet the king, or the king can come down, they get to a point where there's a table, where chairs could be set, there aren't any currently, They can't walk past this table. It's kind of almost like a a barrier that would keep people from going any further. And they stop about 20, 22, something like that, feet away from the actual king and people standing up there. The herald introduces them as King Keldred Wormshield and his daughter, Princess Saraiya. His Royal Majesty, the King of Blah Blah Blah, Protector of Caradon, Son of the Faith, you know, the, the whole long spiel that a, a herald... People don't visit that often. You understand the herald's probably really excited he gets to do his job today, because he doesn't get to do it that often. Especially people with titles showing up. He gets to show off a little bit for his king, and he... You know, being able to do that with flair and make his king look really good, you know, that's... It's that's his, his opportunity to kiss a little booty there, right? So they do all of that. The king does not rise. He stays in his chair, but he's smiling. He he seems uh, happy to see them there. At first glance, he hasn't even spoken yet, but he doesn't see anyone, even the the mage. No one looks pissed that they're there. The king speaks, again doesn't rise, speaks and says, greetings. You are welcome here in my castle, and it is a pleasure to meet you. Yes, I'd heard that you were you were coming uh, when you first landed on our shores. Word reached me not soon after that uh, children of faith had once again come to our shores, and I was only excited to hear that you were coming in this direction. It is such a pleasure to have visitors of your nature. He again introduces his daughter, Princess Soraya, and then introduces them to the wizard standing next to him, his advisor, Bartlemas. Bartlemas. Okay? We introduce us as his personal advisor and uh, royal mage, official, royal mage of Caradon. The princess then speaks as well. Um, and she also welcomes them, and it is a pleasure to have them. And uh, it's, it's so nice to have them. But, you know, just uh, welcome to our castle. Just the basic introductions you would expect from a princess to a princess and friends. But the moment she starts speaking... Every single one of them gets the same feeling they got talking to people in that city. She's smiling, she's happy, and she's genuine. There's a hint of nervousness in her voice. Not something they heard when the king spoke.
1: There's just that little hint of nervousness something.
0: The king then apologizes to the table in front of them says that for several years he's been ill. They're quite careful to doesn't get close to anyone other than the royal family uh, Bartlemas and, and, and his specific servants uh, for fear of contacting cold. His health is ill is, is, has been ill for a long time and so is such why it's set up the way. It's not that I don't want to be near you it's just best there's a little space between us because I'm just careful I'm going to catch something.
1: That's kind of how that comes off. Now, looking at the king,
0: the king is chubby, not overly so. He's got that little belly of a king who, in his later years in life, has stopped going out and fighting and protecting himself and sit back and relaxing in his keep and has plenty of food and drink. He's got a little bit of belly on him now, but his face seems aged, sunken. And though, from what they heard before even reaching the castle, that he was a man in his early 50s, looking at him, you'd think he'd be quite a bit older than that, late 60s, early 70s, just from the way he looks, his face and eyes very sunken in. And that, of course, could be partially because of the illness. Let's show you what these three people look like. If you're listening on iTunes and Spotify, I will have these up on the website within the next 24 hours as well. Of course, all the new minis are up there. OnlyDraven.com, if you'd like to see miniatures of any of the characters I talk about, many of them are there. Okay. There we have King Keldred wormshield And I, I it was so nice. They've, they've added the ability to put people in chairs now. He's sitting on a, on a chair, a throne kind of thing. I didn't have to make him stand up. He's the first person I got to do that with. King Keldred Wormshield, direct descendant of the king who brought the people to this land, fleeing their oppressors from the north, generations ago. Even though it's named Caradon. It's named not after the royal family, but after something different. As you can see, the king, actually, I made him a little chubby, but it's hard to tell because he's sitting down. Um, He's wearing the the colors of the black, blue, and gold or the colors of the the kingdom. He's got a little crown on. Uh, but you can see his eyes is a little sunken in. Even though he eats and drinks, there's plenty to eat and drink, you can tell that he's, he feels like a little bit of wasting away, which could be very likely because of the illness. Okay? So there's King K- uh, Keldred. I don't say I say Keldred. Keldred Wormshield. And Princess Soraya Wormshield. Now, the princess appears to be in her early to mid 20s. Um, Of average height and build. Uh, She does not have any signs of illness or anything of that nature. Um, Seems quite pleasant. Again, dressed in the the, the colors of the kingdom. Which is quite common for a royal family. To be dressed in the royal colors of flag and such. Wrapped in your flag. And then of course is Advisor Barnabas. Advisor Barnabas, as I mentioned, uh, does have a staff that appears to be made of green metal. That ends in a cobra uh, at the end, which has to be, appears to be two red ruby eye gems. Uh, the rats are just because I wanted to put something in there uh, fitting. Not saying he's a bad dude or anything. Just saying <clears throat> I want something that was kind of fitting for like a wizard's place. Those could be those could be his familiars, right? Petal's got a rat. Doesn't necessarily mean bad. I'm just saying you're jumping to conclusions. But that's Bartolomus. Now, they'd heard some information about all this, and that Bartlemas had been there for years. Soon after, the, uh, soon after the merge, Bartlemas had come to the kingdom and had very quickly become the king's trusted advisor and has been living in the castle ever since. Advisor Bartlemas. Um, Bartlemas takes a moment to speak, and he speaks directly to Petal. And he actually comes down the stairs just a couple steps, and smiles—not too close, because he doesn't want to bring anything over and get the king sick. But does come down a couple steps and smiles and nods and bows a little bit to Peddle and says, "What a pleasure it is to have another young mage—not that he's a young mage, but another young mage visit the castle. It is so rare we have visitors here, especially, especially other magi. I look forward to having an opportunity to speak with you and discuss our common." Uh, Interests, that's what our common interests and that of magic itself. Petal is like nodding her head like, oh, that'd be great. Yeah, you definitely look like you've been alive a long time. You probably know a lot. And that's what she says. She's like, oh, wow, yeah, that'd be awesome. I, or, I would I would like that very much. You've clearly been alive a long time. I'm sure you know a lot. And immediately all the other four of them are like, oh, Petal, come on now. Got to hold that kender in you just a little bit better. Let the human side come out when you're talking. But she smiles and and Bartimaeus appears to take no insult by it and just kind of chuckles and smiles. And because, I mean, looking at her, you can see the pointed ears. It's easy to tell she's not straight up human. Now, the king, of course, invites them to stay. Please, I hope that you will stay at least for a couple of days as our guests. You've traveled quite a distance and I can think of nothing more that I would enjoy than to hear the tales of your travels and what brought you to our great kingdom. It would be a pleasure to get to speak with you. Or, you know, on these maps, And when he does, and at the end of it, he, he coughs a couple times. He takes a little cloth out and dabs his mouth. And they can't see, but clearly he wipes something away. But, you know, again, leading to the thought, oh, maybe he has some illness here. He says, I, we have rooms already prepared for you. wing not far from here. If you will go with Brendan, he will take you to your rooms and help you get settled. And then give you a, a brief look around our castle, a tour, if you would. Show you around a little. And then once that's done, you had a chance to make yourself ready. I will arrange for there to be a feast and we will eat and enjoy each other's company. And I can hear tales of the wonderful lands you've been through in your homelands themselves. Artists, of course, very often doing most of the talking as she does, says, it would be a pleasure for us to stay here. And we too look forward to hearing of the many wonderful tales of Caradon, whose peoples have been overwhelmingly pleasant and welcoming. And we uh, appreciate so much the warm welcome we've received from all of your people, which, you know, this is sucking up for the people a little bit. The king's like, excellent, excellent. Our people are making us look good to these travelers kind of thing. You know, because last thing you want to say, well, your people were kind of rude. Then the king sends out, there's a genocide. You don't need that kind of business. Artists is all about propping people up. Ah, your people are more than welcoming and helpful and so on and so forth. It'd be a pleasure to get to know you so we can know more about your wonderful kingdom. says, This is excellent. I, I've already sent word for a feast to be prepared. Brendan will take you to our rooms, give you a look around the castle, and then when you're ready, he'll bring you back, and we'll eat and chat as friends. <clears throat> of course they all bow and thank you, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> and the princess waves goodbye a little bit like nervously, like bye. <laughs> and Barlamis smiles and wraces, <laughs> and, uh, and I look forward to speaking to you too, young men. Peddle's like Ah, oh, okay <clears throat> And then Brendan comes over and they follow him out. A side door where they're led, not too long, just takes a couple minutes to get there, but they're taken to a, 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 almost a cul-de-sac of rooms, right? They get to a, they get into a a room and it's a round room, almost like the end of a a hallway, and there are doors around there, right? There are six doors, six rooms. And he said, we weren't quite sure how many of you were coming. All six room prepared. You may feel free to take the rooms of your choice. This hallway is the only really way in to out to here. Uh, but each room is good. Um, my lady, I would like to apologize ahead of time. And he's clearly talking to Maeve. Um, we hope that uh, the arrangements we've made uh, are suitable for you. But if there's anything we can do to make your stay more comfortable, please do not hesitate to let us know. And we will make any arrangements we can a.k.a. we're biggin. Hope our beds will fit you. You need something else, please tell us and we'll fix it. We're biggin' scary, and we don't want to make you mad. <laughs> that Maeve is us very used useless Goes, yes, excellent. That will be fine. And so he leaves into to that. They, they take rooms and... They decide to leave one of the empty rooms in the middle. So Maeve and Rand take rooms... On the edge, where the, when you first come in through the hallway, they take the room on the left and right. They want to be the first ones to step out to block that corridor should they need to. Then it's going to be Petal in an empty room. Or, sorry, Kip in an empty room. And then Petal and Maeve. Petal and Artist. Oh my god, I'm saying all the names wrong. I apologize. <laughs> so, Fighter Fighter, Rogue Space, Cleric, Mage. Keep them as far back in as possible. So if they did have to make a stand in this... Because they think about these things. They're in the back to do what they need to do. Ran and Maeve could vary... Just the size of the hallway. The two of them could easily hold the hallway. Because they look at these things. They have to consider their own. Especially in a place that they know there's potential danger. I haven't heard from Quint at all since they've been here. But he said he'd only pop up when he had something specific to say... Which at this moment, Artis is regretting because she's like, Well, how do I know he does the difference between he has nothing to say, can't say anything? I may have to reach out to him once everything settles just to check and make sure he still has that capability. They go in, they settle their stuff, and um, Brendan, Brendan waits, waits for them to set their stuff in their room. They're not like all in packing or anything, but just setting their stuff in their room, picking the rooms, and then he takes them on a tour of the castle as he said he would. The tour itself takes a little while it's a very large keep and they get to see things from the there's a garden like with fountains and paths and stuff that's very well tended beautiful flowers and um just looking at it uh, both artists and Maeve kind of have the same thought they smile and they think of the gardens at the temple of art of uh serenity right and how much kelvin would love to see this garden and they even see a couple flowers they're not familiar with and make a point of asking whoever tends the garden since it's a, if, if there's any seeds or something they might be able to take back to Kelvin. Because that's something that they're always looking for friends, right? It's like, oh, seeds from a plant from a world we've never heard of. Take them back to Kelvin. To see if he wants to grow them or wants to look into them, make sure they're not going to destroy the ecosystem of the area. You got to be careful of that stuff. making mental notes of who we should check about that asking about the flowers and stuff and the differences it's a great conversation piece to learn more about their you know have them talking about the lands they come from they can learn more about the area they're about halfway through the tour and suddenly they come to a large set of double doors and brendan stops for a moment and says and these doors lead to the great library of course he barely gets those words out and petals like you say library books in that you say and brendan laughs he's like yes the library has been the source of knowledge of the kingdom for very many generations and its books are well kept to uh in fact our advisor bottom spends many an hour in there in his lifetime being here And in, in fact uh, miss petal uh i was left with should you wish to spend time in the library you are openly welcome to visit. There's nothing in there that's off limits or anything. It's a library of books of history and, and, and knowledge. And of course you are welcome to go in there if you'd like. And Pedal goes, I would like. <laughs> and she goes to artist. She goes, Um, do we have time before the feast for me to look in there a little bit? And Brendan goes, Yes. I mean we've got a little bit of a tour left. Uh we'll be probably just another ten or fifty minutes. We can swing by and hey, if you want to just take a look inside and we can pick you up on the way back and we could go eat the feast together. Pedal goes, I would like that. Artist is like, one one moment, please. And kind of takes Pedal to the side and goes, Pedal, I'm not sure everything that's splitting up is a good idea right now. Oh, well, we're still kind of new here and everybody's friendly, but we want to make sure that you know we're not any problems. Pedal's like, I understand. But there might be information in there might help us learn a little bit more about this place that they're not willing to talk and they're talking like that all the sides of the mouth making weird faces thinking they're sneaky because they're new at this but you know maybe they wouldn't know about it Harris is like okay well all right um I can see the logic of that you might find something in there even if it's just to look around but I'm nervous of just leaving here you by yourself and Kip steps up he goes I would be happy to stay with Miss. uh the, I too am interested in seeing the library being a learned man myself, it'd be nice to see if there are stories, tales, and things that might make a good song or ballad, right? I would be happy to stay with her if it would make you feel a little better. And is like, yeah, yeah okay, that could work. Sure. Rand smiles and nods and gives a wink to Kip, like, hey, thank you for that. Because Rand's going to want to stay by artists, right? He's going to want to protect pedal too, but if it's in a punchline where he has to choose one or the other, he's always going to choose to defend artists. That's some that right there, that thing, that's one of the biggest troubling points for artists. She doesn't like that. She would much rather he jump in to say pedal or Maeve or kip. I shouldn't always be the first one. But Rand, there's no talking, ran out of that mentality. So he gives him a little wink and like a nod of thank you. I appreciate that. It's like, no problem. It'll be awesome. So, yes, would that be okay? And, um, and it's like of course of course we'll be back in 10 or 50 minutes take a look around and then after the feast if you'd like to spend more time in there tonight i'd be happy to escort you back Like excellent. so they open the doors which open very easily even though they're large doors keep has no problem opening them they swing open lightly and the room itself is fairly large it's a good sized library nothing the size of the library of serenity the one in the temple of serenity is massive and they've yet to find any city Anywhere with a, an area dedicated to knowledge as much as Serenity has. Um, Paxwall comes close. is pretty close. But they take some time to go inside. The others continue on the tour. So Kip and Petal go inside and look around. And it's mostly lit by a chan- chandelier, which is like candles on a chandelier, right? And then candles throughout the place. Um, it's not overly bright, but there are tables where you could sit and read. Uh, there's rows of books and ladders you could use to get higher ones. And, uh, there's shelves they can see uh, on the on later walls just lined with scrolls. Uh, and everything seems to be in very good condition. Uh, the library seems that it's kept up well. And it's also kept up where um, there's um, like no dust and stuff. It's clearly used regularly. And even though they're in there, they don't see anyone else. Now, Brendan had mentioned that there were some, there were some uh, scholars who take care of the library. Caretakers is what he referred to them. Not librarians. You know, caretakers. He says, okay. They decide to go inside and take a look. And they're, they're looking around and checking stuff. And they're looking around and you see tales of this. And a lot of it's historical and such. And some of the books are in languages neither of them can read which again is not unusual, right? The world Caradon came from may have had multiple languages, and when they fled from the north generations ago, books might have come through that from a language they can't speak, or they may have got through trade or even through plunder or the war and such. So they, they start looking around. They try not to mess with too much. They're trying to get an overall feel of what's available. They're looking through the books and the knowledge and such. And the room is very quiet. And they look around and they, they're in there about 5 or 6 minutes and they're like well this is it's extensive it would take a good while to go through all these books but nothing had jumped out as super helpful at the moment right you see anything that appeared to be magical tomes of anyways which of course what petal would look for first anything that might be magical in nature they don't see anything like that but again not surprised probably if there is anything of that bartimus keeps that in his own personal rooms or he probably has a personal laboratory study mage room, that he has. It's common for a a mage to have that. Um, So, any magical nature there, but it didn't hurt to look.
1: And they've been looking for a few moments. When Kip... Here's a small click. He looks over to Petal, and Petal's looking at him, because
0: she heard it too. Afgander, she's still very good hearing for that. Small click, but it did not come from the doors behind them. Kip very carefully moves his hand close to his dagger. Petal has her little staff that she carries. Not like a magical staff at this point. Uh, they uh, start kind of coming together a little bit, and casually trying not to draw attention to it. And then they hear, they feel a light breeze coming from a side of the room they were in a few moments ago where there
1: was no door. And then they hear footsteps.
0: Very light single pair. They prepare themselves for whatever's coming through. And immediately Kip is kicking his own butt like, Oh, this was a trap. Artist was totally right. They've got us separate. I gotta I got protect Pedal, and so on and so forth. Or Rand's gonna kick my booty. Got to, you know. Pedal's like, Oh, dang it. I'm not gonna look at the books. I really wanted to read the books. Why'd I have to trap me now? So she's like, Oh, and then the figure comes around the end of the bookshelf and it's not what they expected it's not an assassin or overpowerly guard it's not even Bartolomus himself there to inspel them instead it is the young princess she comes around the room comes around the bookshelf and sees them the sigh of relief looks around the room to see if anyone else is there and quickly steps towards them still unca- unconscious but they're not quite going for their weapons now they're like okay all this she comes up and she says, thank goodness i have a moment to speak to you please i need your help you and
1: your friends are all in danger and that's where we're going to stop that like
0: i said it'll be a few weeks before we get back to that uh but young princess soraya has come to warn them that they are in imminent from what and from who we'll find out eventually now, we're not done yet, though. For some of you who may have been hanging out in the, uh, my Discord, some of the other conversations the place I've had, I've got a little uh, extra snippet of story for today. Occasionally, as I've been telling this section of the story, the adventures of Seraph and the other children, I have been dipping into other little side stories because things are still happening in the world. Continue one of those right now.
1: As he sat there, with his knife, whittling the small wood in his hand,
0: carving it into a small figure, toy if you would, he intended to gift one of the, to the orphan children back at the temple. Tevin knew someone was at the door before it even opened, but he heard it open and he heard the soft steps of someone entering into his cabin. Evan lives out in the woods in what used to be his and Draven's place. He smiles and turns to see who he expected. Cat has come for a visit. Cat, Cat clearly had made a point of making more noise so as not to surprise him. Something that he was very appreciative that she took that consideration to not be as quiet as she could or naturally, instinctually is, but in fact to make some noise. So that, you know, it it stands. Not that he keeps his door locked, because he doesn't. He's just not that kind of guy. Somebody gets that close to the house, normally he's going to know they're there anyways. He does have magical protections there that they've had since they first built the place. And even Cat would be surprised to know that he knew she was coming long before she got there. Because some of those magical wards have been recently renewed and uh, increased as he's uh, ever since... Ventolio arrived that last time he's felt uh, uh, a little unsure and thought that maybe a little extra protection might be for everyone's benefit He smiles of course because he has no reason to believe that this is anything outside of a, a normal visit although it Was a surprise he'd not been expecting her. in fact Hadn't expected to see her for another week or so based on what their previous plans. Oh, I could probably be here in about three weeks kind of thing and she stays very busy with her duties as part of the Thieves' Guild back in Serenity. And as she comes in and she smiles and walks forward to embrace him, first thing he notices, doesn't have a bag with her. Didn't bring anything to stay. She lets him know she is not going to be staying. Normally she brings clothing, wine, whatever she brings from the city, sometimes little gifts for him or whatever. Um... Normally, she has a backpack or something when she arrives, but she doesn't have anything with her. And he's also aware of something else. We'll know about that in a moment.
1: But you get in, of course. He embraces her warmly. They kiss. He says, I'm quite surprised to see you, but happy, of course. What has brought you? She smiles, but he can tell it's a little forced.
0: Something has come up. Pulls, up, pulls one of the chairs from the tables and has a seat. He does the same. He goes, I've come to let you know, you're going
1: to have to be going away for a little bit.
0: Rouse for a while. He said, okay. What do you mean? For how long? I'm not sure, she said, although I will be honest, at least many months.
1: I hope to be back within a year. I, I don't know. That long?
0: Wherever could you go that's important enough that you go for a year? And she smiles, this time a little more forced than before. Really can't say. I can only say that it is guild business. It's imperative. that
1: heaven's I... not real. He doesn't know anything about what
0: she does. Make it clear he shouldn't really ask. And he's been very respectful of that. But as they've grown closer over the time they've been together, de- He's in no way feels he has any right to tell her where she can go. He would, would never dream of doing that, but kind of feels like maybe he should be at least given a little bit more information. He's never been, but mostly, fully open with her. Even Tevin has
1: a few things. Everybody's got some secret in Merge. Hmm. Good tagline. I'm going to have to remember that. Merge worlds,
0: everybody has a secret. So... uh they talk a bit more. And she's like, no, oh, it's nothing major. It's some things that need to be dealt with in uh, a city. In our guild and another. Something that I have to go to deal with. And he's like, and no one else could go? She looks at him and she goes,
1: I volunteered. Very important. And it was a sign of trust and faith that I was accepted. For I have to understand that means a lot to me. Yes, there are others who could go, because says a lot about.
0: The, she catches herself because she, you know, she's trying not to say the rose, right? He's, she does he, We know that she's one of the, the thorns of the rose. She's one of the highest-ranking members, her Vittorio, and a third person that no one knows who that is yet. Somewhat in serenity is the third thorn that only only people who know who that is. The Rose herself, Pat, Vittorio, and Michael. Because at some point, he's had to deal with all of them. Those are the ones who would, if, if emergency happened, would come to him and say, "Hey, The Rose needs you for something or other. She's been stabbed in the foot, or whatever the case may be." You know, it's those are the ones he deals with. But no one else knows who this third person is, and I've never told you guys. Neither, neither. You're not finding out today either. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe eventually. So because I was chosen, this is a lot of trust that's being placed
1: in me that means a lot to me. So I will be going. He stands up and kind of paces a little bit while they're talking and she can tell he's upset. She's like, I do wish I could tell you more. But I must say it's, it's for your safety more than any that I don't share this information. And you know, uh, in that moment, Tevin gets a little upset.
0: He's like, you know, I don't buy that. That you've always had your secret. I trust that and I respect that. That's fine. And I've always done my best not to push you. But I can't all buy that. Okay?
1: Like, to be honest, you should take me with you.
0: Kind of surprises her. He goes, I am, a, I am not a weak man. I'm not some foolish farm boy. Has googly eyes for the neighbor girl. I am quite capable of protecting myself and others. And my abilities are adequate enough that I think you would find them useful.
1: She gets up and comes over and
0: smiles and kind of wraps her arms around a little bit, and she goes, I don't doubt your capability. Which catches him a little bit. It's the first time she says that, but he doesn't draw it out. But in her eyes, he realizes that she realizes she said that for the first time. Then she tries to talk to cover by going further but where i'm going
1: unfortunately i can no one can know of headed my... and what i must do there that includes you
0: and he steps back he goes oh i'm sure some people know kind of gets a weird look on his face and she's like if he's just gonna stand out there you might as well tell him to come in and she's kind of taken aback a moment Almost like, I don't know who you mean, but she does know who he means. And the door opens and Vittorio steps inside. Because he could hear him. He goes, well done, young
1: Claire. There are not many that could have heard me.
0: Kevin goes, I knew you were. He goes, trust me, I knew you were coming long before I had any opportunity. Both Vittorio and Cat look at each other like, "No, know there were wards or spells on this area. They kind of look at, and Kat kind of looks at him a little irritated by that. And he gives her, raises her eye and looks at her, and just kind of looks at her. And the message from his eyes is like, you want to question me about keeping secrets? She doesn't say anything. You tell she's a little irritated that he never told her there's wards and stuff around here. But she can't really be hypocritical and call him out on it.
1: He goes, are you going with her?
0: He's like, it's none of your business. a sly smile and kevin and kevin takes a couple steps towards and goes i'm going to make it my business going with her
1: she's going to go is she going to be protected torio takes a step closer as well says better watch yourself young lad. you are protected because of how she feels i have no desire to come between that guild business is guild business it always comes Evan's like, I tire of you.
0: and the two men as they're talking, their voices are not getting angry, if anything it's staying even pitched, but just the venom in the two voices
1: is easily to pick up on. Cat
0: steps forward to stand between them. She sees not a fool. See, these guys do not like each other. And she'd never really picked, they've only ever met each other once. And evan was very good about hiding that. But she's like, she can see that he does not like Vittorio. And Kat's maybe even a little surprised to see that Vittorio clearly doesn't like Tevin either. And she's a little confused and unhappy with this aggression that's popped in here. Because in her mind, she was just going to pop up, say, hey, I'm going to be gone for a few months. I know you're not happy about it. I'll make it up to you when I get back, kind of. thing. But she doesn't even say that. It's more of a, I'm going. I don't know how long I'll be gone. And, he, and so he finally turns and said, will you be back? Will I get to see you again? A little
1: caught off guard by just the shortness of his... his. Torio goes to step forward. Heaven raises his hand towards him. Torio stops. And the two men are just looking at each other. And while they're standing there, Evan knows that Vittorio's hand has very slowly moved closer to his dagger. And all he says is, you'll never get it unsheathed. Vittorio gets a little bit of a smile on the side of his mouth. And his hand quickly
0: moves. Cat immediately yells out to stop. But before the dagger is removed, Vittorio is in the air. Heading backwards. Hits the back wall of the cabin hard. Which the back wall of the cabin is built into rock. I've said this before. There was a, a rocky outcropping. They built it partially into that to help make it stable and help protect it from the thing. So the back wall is hard stone. And he hits it hard. And, he's, and his dagger falls from his hand. And he's just pressed up against it. And he can't move. And cats like, Tevin, need to put him down. And Tevin, you can see, again, no emotion on his face at this point other than furrowed brows. And he takes it and he just pushes it a little further. And you can see Vittorio's face start to strain at the pressure pushing him up against the wall. And Kat's
1: right by his ear. Down, please. Tevin looks to her and sees her eyes. Closes his
0: fist and Vittorio falls to the ground is very quick to regain his feet, but doesn't move, because he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen next.
1: Take your things and leave my house, Evan says to Vittorio.
0: Vittorio looks to Cat, and Cat nods once. Very casually walks over, reaches down, takes his dagger, sheaths it slowly, final nod to the both of them, walks out the door.
1: That wasn't wise, said. Torio is loyal. is not someone to be trifled with. Evan looks at Cat and says, But I don't think you've ever quite realized. Neither am I. I understand that you're leaving. Very unhappy to see your life is your own you return i'll still be i just hope sooner or rather cat picks up on it although
0: he's being short with her for the very first time never really even stood up there he's always been a bit more of the okay fine cool She sees him as that. Oh, he's a loving cleric and such. But this is the first time she's ever seen him do anything other than heal. Gotta remember, the first time they ever saw each other... I'm gonna do a a callback here, because this is something some people may not put together. Is when he was
1: healing Deacon.
0: Remember back when the man in the hat, and all the undead and all that stuff was attacking Serenity... It was Tevin who was trying to get from the temple to where he knew Draven would be because he knew that's where he needs to be to help his friend. And as he was going through, he was running into undead. He had to fight and so on and so forth. And he saw a mysterious figure, which I never really said, but I hoped everybody picked up on the fact that that's the enemy from the future. That's the son of Nihilat Firemoon from the future that was causing the undead to attack, even though it wasn't, I didn't draw that. That's who that was. He was the first person and the only person of all of them who's actually seen him from the future at this point even though he doesn't know that's who that was and draven doesn't know about that person so they have no idea or reason to believe that's anyone important but when he described him artemis definitely told everybody else right but when he arrived you know deacon was injured pedal had just done their thing and with the with the menandra which merged with it and uh, she'd passed out. And Dandy was there. Knocked Menander away. And it was holding on to pedal. It was then that he arrived. But there were other people there helping. Because Draven was unconscious. And everybody's had to snot beat out of him almost at this point. Um, Michael was unconscious. He also needed healing. Kevin arrived and immediately started he- healing. And there were people there that were helping. And one of those people was Kat. And at first it was the feeling of, oh, this is just a citizen who happened to be at the park at that time. Attraction there, and he saw her a couple times soon after that. Not knowing that the whole reason she was there is something that I explained to you guys a couple episodes ago, that the night that that happened and Dandy was busting through the crowd, it was all three of the thorns that were making sure no threats touched her. She Even even when I wrote that, it said as she was going through the crowd, she could sense there were things she could sense there were other things moving in unison with her, though she knew not what they were. That was her thorns coming through the city, helping to protect her in the mode where she was not the Rose. Because that's very often what they do. And so they were making sure that wherever Danny was going, she was going to get there. Which means they're skilled enough that they were fighting off undead, maybe even other vampires. I just want to point that out. Um... So as they're as they rushing so when they get there, one of them, the one who was more apparent, was Kat. No reason to believe she was there because of Dandy specifically, but that's how the two of them met. And him using his healing, saw his healing power, knows he's a very powerful healer. There's no allusion to that. Also knows he's best friend to Draven. And he had an inter- she had an interest in him. Well, hang on a i got a fuzzy camera. Let me fix that. An mm-hmm. uh, in interest, so... Before even going to talk to him... She would have asked the Rose first. Rose gave her blessing. Which genuinely surprised Cat. Rose is not a big fan of you having other
1: connections...
0: Outside of the guild, right? But she left. And Cat's not stupid. Kevin's a good friend of Draven. Part of that same circle group. It wouldn't benefit to have another connection to them for information, and so on and so forth. Um, and Kat knows that she's being allowed to do that for this reason, but she was still allowed to do it. And then they are, they're their relationship group. Uh, let's see. Lex asks a question. I have a question that could be hard. If you had the chance to bring back a character from death or another place, who will you bring back? Well, I can't answer that question. If someone was going to come back, I'd be giving away part of the story. But I can tell you someone who I would bring back that's never going to come back, but would be cool if they did. I'll answer that as soon as I'm finished with this little bit of a snippet of the tale. Um, Kat sees the way that Tevin is speaking and is not happy to hear it, but at the same time, even though she's irritated by it, she understands it. He's been very secretive, and he's been very forgiving of that, and he's not really ever pressed her, even in the situation where she's like, never ask me again. Done that. I'm until this conference.
1: And she walks up, steps up to him again, leans in, kisses his cheek, says, I will be back. And turning, leaves and walks out the
0: cabin as well. And Tevin, because of the spells of wards that he's put on there, knows they're leaving and can, knows their direction. He can see them, but he can trip this one, trip this one, and then no more were trip. He knows they're out, outside the range of those spells. And once they're both gone, he just kind of sits down defeated. Right? Because he is crazy about this young woman. He would love to marry this woman and settle down with her. Have families and all that kind of... Thing. But he doesn't know if he's ever going to get that chance. Especially if she's disappearing for months, maybe even years at a time. What kind of life is that? Being with someone that you know, never know where they are or what they're doing. Only know that where they are and what they're doing is probably illegal and possibly harming people. And the weight of the situation and the relationship he's put himself in is really weighing down on him for the first time. And for the first time, he's having doubts of, is this the best thing for me? Like, not, not being egotistical, but really, is this something that I'm strong enough that I want to continue to see where it goes, knowing that those walls will very likely always be. And it puts a lot on his mind. And he's going to have time to uh, think on it. According in the cat,
1: it'll be quite a while until she's... That's
0: where we're going to end the stories for today. So where we're ending... Just a quick recap. Artists and friends are at the kingdom of Caledon. Caridon. Why do I keep saying Caledon? Caridon. And they uh, have just been been made aware from the princess that they're in danger is leaving Serenity for months at a time to deal with something somewhere else, although we don't know what, but knowing how she's almost of the Three Thorns, the more right-handed person of the Rose, we as people must know wherever she's going must be pretty important. What could it be that's going to take her away from Serenity for such a long time? And then next episode, two weeks from today... We won't find out the answers to any of those things, because I'm a jerk. We're going to be a little while till we come back to continue this section of the story, because we're going to return to Seraph, Deacon, and Mugen, back in the city they were in. Their hunt to catch up with Dina, and I can tell you that events and things are about to transpire that is going to drastically escalate the issues they're dealing with. Shit will hit the verbial fan, if I may. I'm very excited, because like I said, once I got to that section I'm doing next with them, it's a section that I'm not going to want to leave. So, we've got, I'm pretty excited to step into that next section of the story. We haven't talked about Seraph in a month and a half now. Almost two months. So, I'm excited to really get into the meat of that little stuff that they're dealing with. But answer that question from Lex earlier. I have a question that can be hard. If you had the chance to bring back a character from the death, who would you bring back? If I could bring back someone that I can tell you right now will never come back. I want to clarify that. I'm going to name someone that I'm never going to bring back. They're dead and they're dead for a reason. Um, It would probably be Willow. One of the original heroes. Um, I always thought that Willow had a lot of potential early on as a druid, and I had some storylines that had things continued the way they did, um, Willow would have had some, some meatier stories for her for character development. And I really, I've i told this in the past, but I'll, I'll say it again. At the time that we were playing this section of Merge World, as an actual D&D campaign, the young lady who played Shadow... And the group of people kind of fractured, and, and she left. So I didn't have a player for those characters anymore. And the gentleman who played the characters of Zaren and Fig, he also broke off and left. So I lost two of my players, which was four of my characters. And so when... I And the whole group fractured, and we didn't play for like six months... I didn't know if I was going to get to play the story again. But when I did and we came back, I had the the two young women who played the other four characters, the main characters we've had since then. And So the storyline became because they literally had ended in the battle in the Flying Citadel in the Valley of Sacrifice. And so that's why six months later, they were brought back from the dead by uh, by, uh, Zoltan. Um, And the other ones were missing and they didn't know where they were. And Zarin became a villain, Fig became King Fig, and Shadow and Willow died and became minions of Lich Michael. Um, and that's, that's kind of the reason the story took that angle, because I lost the player for those characters, and I didn't want to NPC four people. Half of an eight-person group all being NPCs is a lot. Um... And on top of what other NPCs I had planned, like the Minions and Michaels and uh, all of those people, that, Dravens and people that popped up, it was just going to be too many. Um, so I felt it better to give them permanent reasons to not be there. Uh, the second question was, where the characters go when they die? Another plane. They got back from death. That's when they become discovered and show uh, down to the grave again for protection. Kind of. So what happens to souls when they die in this pre-merge world. In just the worlds, the way the planes work in general, they're the planes that the gods live on, different planes, different such. Um, by traditional Dungeons & Dragons, when I first started it, I was using the original planes, and then I redesigned the plane system to match more of what I wanted for the merge worlds. So merge worlds created a very interesting um, problem for the gods. Not for me, I already knew how it was working, but for the gods itself and how things were governed in souls and such, no one quite knew, no one who's living, quite knows exactly what happens after death in Merge World. Uh, there are some pieces of information that's been received from with summoning the dead or speaking to spirits and demons, um, but they're still trying to put some of that together. Some people probably know, some don't. I'm not going to go into the specifics right now because we're not super far away from a part of the story where we're actually going to learn how a lot of that works. And the learning of that is part of the storyline. That's why I'm not going into a lot of detail right now. Um, You're going to learn, as the characters learn, some of what's the bigger picture outside of merged worlds, which is a second prime material plane that contains just that one world. A smaller prime material plane, making two primes, which is odd. Um, but that's kind of why it's just there. Why I haven't gone into a lot of detail, and I've had people ask because I know how it works, but they don't. Characters and such, they have an idea. They knew how it worked before the merge, and most of them are going to assume it's the same way. But again, remember, it's only been many years since the merge. It's so really not a lot of time in the grand scheme of things. A lot of stuff's gone on in that time. So, there's still people trying to figure it out. But we're going to find out uh, not only more information about that, but more information on how gods, demons, and the creation of the universe originally all came into play. A lot of that information is going to be shared in a specific part of the story that's a ways down the road, but not super far. hope they answered questions a little bit without being too vague, I just don't want to give away any important parts for the story up ahead. Because <clears throat> the learning of things will affect how characters do certain things. And so I, I want that to hit you guys the same time it everybody learns it. So thank you for the questions, though. I really appreciate that. Anyone else out there who has questions, of course, you're always welcome to leave them in the comment section of these video streams. Um, or you can go join my Discord, which is also down in the link description of uh, these streams, or you can go to my website, OnlyDraven.com. There's links there that will um, take you to my Discord, or you can email me directly, stuff like that. I love talking Merge Worlds. I'm happy to do it. There's Merge Worlds threads in our Discord, so I'm happy to bring any of the D&D stuff there. Um, yeah, that's it. Today we went two full hours. I actually didn't mean to go this long, but it took a little bit longer than I thought I did, which is okay, mind you. I was keeping, I'm most of the time I think episodes are going to be closer to an hour and a half at this point, at most. Uh, but today I had that little snippet in the end that added a little extra and then answering some questions. So thank you very much for hanging out and listening to me. If you're watching this and you had a little bit of a good time, uh, now, tomorrow, or 10 years down the road, it'd be awesome if you wouldn't mind clicking that like button. Uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, if you wouldn't mind also, it'd be awesome if you'd go uh, to the podcast uh, source of your choice and give us all the likes or the stars or the thumbs ups or whatever it is on spotify and itunes It'd be great if you do that and if you'd like to leave a review that would also be awesome five stars uh definitely helps get the story in front of the eyes of more people all right but i'm going to call that a day uh, now next week not quite sure what's going to happen thursday because behind the dice is on temporary hiatus i'd like to do something D based um, we may be talking about a Merge Worlds card game that I'm in the beginning processes of trying to design. So, you know, may chat about that. Not really D and D, but kind of, kind of base. So, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, swing on by. We'll talk about that. But two weeks from today, we'll be back with more Merge Worlds, jumping right back into Seraph and Friends, and really hitting some meat story. All right, I'm gonna call that a day. You all have yourselves. A wonderful evening hope you have a great rest of your week uh, it's hot out there stay cool uh, have fun party hard but party safe and thank you for sharing your time with me and merge worlds i hope to see you again very soon